which I am you. In Dukhan. We are on ayah number 25, Surah Al-Dukhan, Surah number 44. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. كم تركوا من جنات وعيون وزروع ومقام كريم ونعمة كانوا فيها فاكهين كذلك وأورثناها قوم آخرين. This has Musa عليه السلام leading his people away from Egypt, away from the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh and his hordes they die and they drown. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that كَمْ تَرَكُوا مِنْ جَنَّاتٍ وَعْيُونَ That how many gardens and how many springs did they leave behind them after they drowned? وَنَعْمَةٍ كَانُوا فِيهَا فَاكِهِينَ And how many great forms of ni'mah and blessings, plantations did they leave behind in which they would rejoice and be happy. Fakihin, that they were enjoying the blessings of those conveniences and forms of luxury and so on. So here the Quran is depicting the culture and the civilization of the Fir'aun, that it was very organized, very sophisticated, very luxurious. That if you can have gardens and orchards and vineyards and you can have springs running through the cities and if you can have plenty of goods and supplies and food and means of enjoyment. So these are great forms of ni'mah, blessings. So the Qur'an does not reject the idea of having a good life and a good lifestyle. The Qur'an is not against Muslims developing (coughs) cultured society and civilization that is sophisticated. Uh, So this is now seen not from the point of view of a curse, but the point is that if you don't be (coughs) grateful to Allah, and you don't appreciate that Allah is the one who is actually providing you the means and the abilities and the infrastructure within which you are enjoying this, then that is a tragedy. And that will be now be ungrateful to Allah, and then unfortunately you will have to go through what other people went through when they rejected Allah. Thus, this is how you must understand that uh, Fir'aun's luxurious lifestyle was built on his uh, lack of understanding who lies and his claiming to be God himself. And then that is why Allah rejected him, uh, not because he had this great culture and this great civilization. So there the Tawheed and the Aqidah 
and uh, the piety and the taqwa will then give you a sense of Allah's now intent. And then we left that all behind for another people. Another civilization came and they benefited from that infrastructure and so on. So here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that all of these are great forms of blessings and you should accept these as blessings, enjoy them. <clears throat> At the same time, give thanks to Allah for these blessings and not reject him and not reject his signs. فَمَا بَكَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا كَانُوا مُنْظَرِينَ and then neither the heavens nor the earth cries uh, upon these people. They don't weep when they die. When they leave the earth, they don't die. And so on. And they were not given any respite. They weren't given any time to reflect and make tawbah when the final blow came. So here, that the heavens and the earth crying, uh, meaning there are hadith that speak to this, that when certain pious people leave the world, the earth cries that he is no longer walking on me, and the heavens cry that he is no longer in our shade, and so on. So this is a phenomenon uh, that is purely an Islamic understanding of how Allah Taala honors people, good people, when they die. So there are many signs of goodness and fortune when people die. And this is one of the signs that this, uh, the skies open up and the earth now has a few moments of trembles and so on. So this does happen, as mentioned in hadith, that when certain very pious people die, this is what happens, that they are leaving this space and time and they're going into another space and time. So they, they connect with the environment around them. Uh, they give a sense of security for the environment around them. So they give a sense of peace and sukoon to everything around them. So everything around them now realizes their worth, their value, their piety, their du'as, their dhikr, and everything else. Uh, because when we do things in this world, everything is now going to testify, uh, as the Prophet says, that when you pass by a tree, say subhanAllah, because the tree will testify on your behalf, and so on. So everything is now connected. We're all interconnected with everything in the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. And uh, when they see these objects, heavenly and celestial and terrestrial objects, see that the world is now deprived of that sukoon and dhikr, then they react. So this is something which is cosmologically there. And we know this through Wahi, in the Quran, and through the Prophet As you know, the famous story, the Prophet uh, was uh, told by a carpenter, he had that, uh, I can make you a mimbar. You don't have to lean against this uh, stump, hmm. a palm tree stump. He was leaning against in the khutbah. So as they went to extract and remove the trump, everybody heard the trump, the trunk, sorry, uh, crying loudly. Uh, everybody heard it. It was crying, wailing like a baby, uh, leaving its mother. 
and so on, the Prophet and then put his hand Mubarak on it and said, it's okay. And then they took her away and buried it or something. So there's now the connection of a pious person with the heavens and the earth is very normal and it's real. Likewise, the connection a non-pious person has is also the same. So when a non-pious person leaves the world, uh, the heaven and the earth, they rejoice. They're happy, oh, yeah, this <laughs> so-and-so is out of here. We don't have to give him our shade. We don't have to allow him to walk on us. So that's how they interact. So the, the cosmological realities that we understand through wahi, they're incredible. So we are all connected, interconnected with everything around us. And so that is the best way to fight pollution and to save the earth and to become green, that you must have good deeds. As the Prophet ﷺ said, that even subhanAllah is a charity because you are now helping the environment and you're helping everything else. So good deeds, iman and good deeds are definitely part of the cosmology. It's only a matter of iman. And Allah is now saying this to us, that uh, the heavens and the earth did not cry when Fir'aun and his army were drowned. They were very happy that they drowned. And they weren't given any kind of respite uh, whatsoever. So this is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bringing us this ni'mah of a Muslim being connected with nature and the cosmos and so on. So we must appreciate this. Every time we make wudu or do salat or fast or give a sadaqah and zakat or go for hajj, uh, we are improving the environment and we are uh, we are giving the world and the earth uh, longevity. We're extending the life of the planet and the universe by virtue of our good deeds. Mm, yeah, that's also mentioned in various ahadith. وَلَقَدْ نَجَّيْنَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ الْمُهِينَ مِنْ فِرْعَوْنَ and indeed, we had spared and saved and delivered the Bani Israel from the humiliating punishment, Min Fir'aun, from Fir'aun's punishment. So Fir'aun inflicted humiliating punishment on the Banu Israel. The Banu Israel came with Yusuf when he invited his parents to come into Egypt. And there he stayed with his 12 brothers, and the 12 brothers, they married and they had children. And uh, all of them became the Banu Israel, the children of Israel, which is an alias for Yaqub, the father of Yusuf. Okay? So these are the children of Yaqub, all 12 tribes, and they lived in uh, the, the Pharaoh's place uh, for generations. And then xenophobia kicked in, and Firaun started to persecute and humiliate these people because they were not part of mainstream society. So he punished them severely, as you know. That's when Musa was born, and he came to rescue the Banu Israel from Firaun. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fulfilled his promise to rescue the Banu Israel from Firaun, which he did. إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَالِيًا مِنَ الْمُسْرِفِينَ Indeed, he was a very haughty person, uh, always uh, ruling above mm, those 
he was from amongst those who were exceeding and excessive, more than exceeding, excessive. They were excessive in whatever they did against the Banu Israel and so on. So he wanted to be high and mighty and he wanted to be domineering and dominating. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not like the idea that he did not bow down to Allah and he did not listen to the message of Musa alayhi salatu salam. وَلَقَدْ اِخْتَرْنَاهُمْ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ عَلَىٰ الْعَالَمِينَ And then we chose them upon knowledge above all others in the world. Yeah. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning a feature of the Banu Israel that Allah chose them to receive knowledge. One is through Musa salam's reception of the Torah, that they were given the knowledge of Torah through Musa salam. And the other is that they were very pious people within the Banu Israel who communicated with Allah and Musa salam, and they received their knowledge also in this way. So they had knowledge. So they had knowledge of certain things, of how things work in the world, and they had knowledge of the Torah, and they had knowledge of Wahi, and they had knowledge of angels, and all of that. Okay. So Allah chose them uh, to be this type of community, a religious community. Right. So since they were in the desert for 40 years, uh, they were praying and they were fasting and they were doing everything in order to remain a religious community. They had some problems and trials and errors and everything else, and Allah punished them several times and so on. But on the whole, their outlook was very intellectual. They had knowledge. It wasn't that they didn't have knowledge. They had knowledge, as the next ayah says, And we gave them so many of our signs in which there was great tests for them. So time and time again, they would argue with Musa, and Allah would send them a proof that Musa is a Nabi, and then some of them would accept, and most of them would reject the sign. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed them signs that are intellectual and signs that are cosmological. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, now raised the whole mountain on top of their heads and threatened to let it fall on their heads and they accepted and so on. There, there, there are other things that are mentioned in Surah Baqarah and other surahs that they went through trial after trial. They didn't have any water. So they wanted Musa salam, to ask Allah to give them water. Musa salam, he struck his staff on a big rock and then 12 streams of water came gushing out from that big gigantic rock and they were able to take water each tribe from one of the springs that came up. So these are many signs that Allah, so they saw Allah in action and they also had tremendous knowledge. So if you have both, then there's a big test in that. Very big test. Sometimes, you know, seeing signs of Allah's existence and power and might sometimes uh, will not allow you to believe because you'll just be dumbfounded and you'll be, you know, 
in a state of uh, disbelief. Anyway, so these, these were some of the things that happened to the Banu Israel. So as they escaped the punishment from Fir'aun, they landed in their own punishment, which is a different type of punishment. Punishment where a religious community goes astray. Okay. So they became the prototype for Muslims from Medina and other places afterwards that this is what you don't do if you're a religious community. You don't follow that method and that road. And you don't follow those ideas. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa establishes the prototype that they, they were there in the desert 40 years. Right? So after 40 years, obviously the old people die and the new people come in. And the new people don't have the same kind of hang-ups as the old people have. And they are ready now to fight for whatever it is they want to fight for. So jihad was then eventually prescribed upon them to go out into what they call the promised land and fight. But that uh, hukum was not given to the early Muslims who were in the desert because they were spoiled by all the luxuries that they were privy to in Firaun's now Egypt. So, like, unfortunately we are. Uh, we're privy to all the luxuries we have in this country. So God forbid if there was something and we had to go on to a remote island, we'd be whining and bickering like they did. We don't have this, we don't have that, we don't have this. Yeah, Musa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Banu Israel man and salwa, free food in the desert, uh, quail and a very soft, sweet bread in the morning. But for them it was now, well, they, it became, became monotonous because they were used to vegetables and greens in Firaun's Egypt, and they were used to fine dining and sophisticated ways of cooking. So they said to Musa, this is monotonous. We can't survive on this for the rest of our lives. <laughs> right. So that when, when you're accustomed to luxury and a luxurious lifestyle, even though you are downtrodden uh, in that community, you still relate to it. So when they were transitioned in the desert, they were still relating to everything they were accustomed to in Firaun's Egypt. And therefore, you know, the idea of jihad with these people was ridiculous. They, they can't do jihad because they're still stuck in their luxury. Okay. So when after 40 years, when the second generation came, when they were not privy to those ideas, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to them that they should go out and fight. Okay. So the older people were cowards and the younger people were brave. And so this is the transition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Musa was leading them, guiding them, and obviously he died there in Sinai in the desert. And, and you know, so this is what saying that there was a great test, an open test for the Banu Israel, that although they were delivered from Fir'aun, they could not escape their own, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, whining and uh, bickering and complaining and so on. But having said that, there were still many people amongst the Banu Israel who were pious and they had knowledge and they were you know, born leaders and so on. This is a reference to both the Banu Israel and the Quraysh, or the, the Arab pagans, 
that they assumed that this was the only life and this was the only death, and there was no death after this death, and so on. So they had no concept of resurrection, and they had no concept of the hereafter. Right. So this is now also another test. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imposes on human beings, and especially Banu Israel, that you're not going to live here forever. And this is not the only life you will live, and so on. فَأْتُوا بِآبَائِنَا إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Then you must bring our forefathers, if indeed you are truthful in your claim that there is resurrection. If they are not resurrected, then why are you saying there is resurrection? Obviously, you say that Allah is not going to resurrect them in this world. This world is not the world in which people are resurrected. You have to move on to another world, and you are resurrected in that world. There's a different time-space reference. Yeah. So you cannot come back here because you've left here. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not respond to these people. And so on. أَهُمْ خَيْرٌ أَوْمْ قَوْمُ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ أَهْلَكْنَاهُمْ إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا are they better or are the disbelieving people uh, who came before them from the people of Tubba'a? So there's a contention there amongst the commentators. Who exactly are the people of Tubba'a? Some people say it is the people of Madian, the people of Shu'aib, and so on. Ahlaknahum innahum mujrimin. Some others say, no, they're a different type of people, they're a different group altogether. And the Prophet ﷺ did mention, I'm not sure whether the people of Tubba'a were punished or not. Anyway, so anyway, that just leaves us uh, to our imagination and see what we can find out about these people. Uh, we did indeed destroy them. Indeed, they were criminals and they were guilty of uh, not aligning their theology with Allah's will and they were guilty of not following the true path of guidance in this world. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now going to Punish people for that. This is all before the Prophet ﷺ came. Because before the Prophet ﷺ came, every Nabi was uh, assigned to his people, specifically. He was not assigned to anyone else who was not from his people. So Musa ﷺ was not assigned to the Arab. He was only assigned to the Banu Israel. Isa salam was only assigned to the Banu Israel. He was not assigned to the whole world. With the prophet, so it was now the rule was that if you disbelieve the prophet, you are given some time to reflect, contemplate, to make tawbah, to come to terms with his prophethood. And if you don't, and you are guilty of zulm, injustice, then Allah will destroy you. That changed with the prophet salam because the prophet salam is assigned to all of humanity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to destroy the whole of humanity. Mm, yeah. So this is how we see that the universality of the Prophet's mission and his message is the reason why people are not destroyed now in today's world. Otherwise, as we know, unfortunately, there are so many sins committed that uh, there's no reason why Allah would not punish human beings today. It's only because of the barakah of the Prophet ﷺ that uh, human beings still survive today without being obliterated and demolished. And so, on. so this is how we see that Allah 
Prophet's fadl on the Ummah through the Prophet is because of his mission being universal and applicable to every human being and in fact to everything that exists. وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا لَاعِبِينَ Indeed, we have not created the heavens and the earth and everything within it in a state of play. We're not playing. This is not sport. This is not amusement for Allah. Okay, so you have a magician who can create things through your power of suggestion on the stage, but that's for amusement and play. Yeah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates things, obviously, his creativity and his nur and his rahmah and so on. But it's not an amusement for him, it's not sport. He's not doing this because it's entertainment. That the whole world is a last stage of now magic? No. So there are purposes and reasons why Allah creates what he creates. But definitely one reason is not that he enjoys all that. Allah doesn't need to enjoy anything he is above and beyond, human emotions, especially amusement and pleasure. He doesn't need to derive pleasure from what he does. And so, so there's no pleasure there, there's no amusement, and there's no sport in what Allah does. So now you take this ayah, and you go to the wilderness, and you look at the earth around you, and you look at everything on the earth, and you look at the, the heavens above you, you look at everything in the heavens, and you say, Subhanallah, ma khalaqta hadha batana. You haven't created this in vain. There is a purpose to all this creation. Uh, this is something that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do. It cannot uh, come together by itself over millions and billions of years. It's not something that we appreciate. Anyway, so Allah is saying that uh, you must understand that first of all, observe creation. Yeah. If you don't observe creation, you won't understand the ayah. You have to sit down and observe, go somewhere, yeah, and have time and space, and see everything around you. Observe the creation, and then look at everything in of itself. Look at the trees, and then look at the grass, and look at the animals, and look at how the animals function, and look at human beings and see how they function. Look at the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and see what they do. Look at each individual creation of Allah within the earth and within uh, the seven heavens and you will see that it is spectacular. And it has to be for a reason. It's simply not amusement. Mm. So this is a call that the Quran is making to its reader that when you read this ayah, take some time out and think about it. Yeah, Not just say, yeah, okay, it's not sport, it's for a reason. And we move on. You don't move on. You're supposed to stay in this ayah the whole life, your whole life. Remain in this ayah for your whole life. And say, oh, wow, wow. You see anything when you're traveling and you're touring someplace and you're seeing things, then there again you must stand aside for a few moments, enjoy the spectacle and the view, and then say, subhanAllah, this is Allah's creation. If you do that, then you'll be part of this ayah and you'll understand what this ayah is saying that human beings must then also believe that their creation within this creation is for a reason. It's not for amusement, it's not for sport, it's not for play, it's not simply to enjoy yourselves, because this world does not support the idea of, uh, what do you call it, in uh, discriminate pleasure. 
it doesn't happen. That is in another world called Jannah. You'll have indiscriminate pleasure there and amusement there, but not here. This is controlled by time and space. And so, on. so anyway, so this ayah is now calling upon the one who reads it to observe, take a few steps back, think about it, take in the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Allah's creation, and then relate all of that to the Creator, and then acknowledge His supremacy, acknowledge His majesty, and so on. Yeah. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now commanding the reader and advising the reader this is how you must think in order to understand Allah's role in your individual life. So understand that from the micro, get to the macro, and then from you, get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a life journey. Yeah, this is a life journey that you must appreciate. But through reflection, observation, thinking, contemplating, which these faculties every human being has. The Qur'an wants to trigger these faculties, turn them on. Because human beings, they never turn on these faculties because you're too wound up with whatever it is you're doing. You wind up with food, you wind up with clothing, you wind up with the kind of cars, and you wind up with sports and amusement and your work and your job and money and family, and you don't have time to step away from these so that you can enjoy whatever else Allah has created. Right, so if you're unfortunately a city dweller, you never see the light yeah, of the sky at night. You don't see the stars. So you deprive them. So this I is saying that you must take time from your own lives, step out from your own lives for a while and acknowledge the other creation of Allah and then, you know, draw an analogy from the greatness and the beauty of that creation to the greatness and the beauty of Allah who is his creator. Yeah, this is what the Quran and this is what we used to do. Muslim civilization, they used to do this. They used to think, contemplate, reflect, understand, make dua, dhikr, tawbah, and they would be at peace with themselves. They would be at peace with the cosmos. They would be at peace with the environment, as we just mentioned before, that when you die, the heaven, the earth will cry if you're a good person because it wanted you here, and so on. So this ayah is uh, encouraging Muslims uh, to contemplate, think, and step outside their busy lives just for a few moments, maybe once a week or something, and then observe Allah's might and power and beauty. Yeah. Indeed, we have not created them except with the truth. Yeah, the truth meaning not falsehood, but with the truth of reality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the real al-haq. Whatever he creates, he creates with the haq, which is reality. So there's nothing there left to the imagination of human beings. There is always a reason behind every creation. Every creation has a reason, a purpose, a function, and it fulfills its role if it is non-human or non-jinn. Human beings, because they have a little bit of volition, they tend to <clears throat> choose the right, the wrong decision. Yeah. So everything is created with 
the haqq, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the real and with reality. And if you see everything as part of this holistic reality, and you're not isolated from the reality of the cosmos, and you're part of it, <coughs> then you're a better human being. But if you isolate yourself and you feel, I'm my own person, which is what America is about, me, me, and me, then you never relate to anyone else besides you. In fact, you don't even relate to you. What you relate to is what you want to do, and your needs and your desires and your pleasure. And uh, if you don't find it here, you'll find it there. You look for it there. And if you don't find it there, you look for another place. So it is a vicious circle, right? And you can go on and go on and go on. And you see nothing except falsehood. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now encouraging the Muslim mind to think and understand, appreciate that Allah does create everything with the truth. But most of them, they don't know. So most human beings, they don't know because they don't seek knowledge of that type. So knowledge is not just in reading. Knowledge is also in observing. Yeah. So that's that Muslim minds were observant of everything around them. They were observant of Allah's creativity in his creation. If you observe that, then you have nur. But if you don't, if you look at a fly and you don't observe Allah's creativity in the fly, then obviously you just see a fly. But if you observe Allah's creativity, you'll see the haqq, the truth. So that's the point of observation. So Muslims took every means to learn and to acquire knowledge. Reading was one, thinking was none, dhikr was none, salat was none, contemplating was none. So they took all of these tools of learning and they made it part of their lives. Allah then says that the final day when the day of separation, the day of separation, fossil, and it's also the day of decision and the final verdict. Fossil is actually separation and the separation is because of the verdict yeah, amongst themselves. So you will separate the good from the evil, the truthful from the liars, and so on. Uh, it is, that is their appointment their destiny, all of them. So a day will come when Allah will separate you uh, from everybody else, uh, from your spouse, from your children, from your parents, and you will be standing alone. So that isolation on the Day of Judgment is what you should be thinking about. So the way to prepare for that isolation is to believe that you are not isolated here in this world you're part of Allah's creation, you're part of Allah's uh, cosmology, and so on. You must understand that at the universal level, so that you can be with the largest group on the Day of Judgment. Okay, so you'll be in groups. As you see in Surya, seeing that the Mujrim, the criminal, will be separated from those who are non-criminal. So you will be aligned in columns first. Columns of believers and non-believers and hypocrites and mushrik and kafir and whatever. So you'll have your own column. So within these columns you'll have platoons and you'll be separated then according to your deeds, whether good or bad, and, uh, depending on your ranks in Jannah and so on. So this is Yom al-Fasl, yeah, separation, day of separation. 
And everything is now sorted, arranged, organized according to iman, according to amal, and so on. So it is everybody's now collective time to appear in front of Allah. Yawma la yughni mawlan al mawlan It's a day when no one who is a patron will be able to help anyone else who is a patron. So you won't have clientele on the Day of Judgment. You won't have an attorney, you won't have a client, you won't have a doctor, you won't have a patient, you won't have a teacher, you won't have a student. Everybody will be according to their deeds and to their iman and so on. And they will not be helped except with whatever they have done and earned. Except the one upon whom Allah has rahmah. Then Allah will then choose this person uh, to receive his rahmah on that day. So here, here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanding the, uh, you know, the Muslim to think outside of the box and to become part of Allah's creation, whether it's the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the arsh, whatever. You're part of that. You're part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's designated creation. You are his creation and you must become one with all creation. And then your separation from creation is based on your iman and based on your action. So if you do that in this world, then you will be separated in a good group. Uh, And you will be in, inshallah, comfort and peace and security. And if you're not, then you're not. This all requires Allah's rahmah, except the one upon whom Allah shows his rahmah. So Allah is now the one who decides whom he's going to shower his rahmah upon. No one decides that except Allah. So there's no shirk there. There's only tawheed. Allah is the one who will ultimately decide where you're going and what kind of person you are. Innahu huwa al-aziz rahim And indeed, it is he who is the most supreme. And it is he who is the most giving of rahmah. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his ability to, <coughs> to rule... And to give the final verdict is from his name, Al-Aziz, the Supreme. There's no one there to confront him and to uh, to debate with him. At the same time, as Supreme as he is, he is also Al-Rahim. So he will now selectively give Rahmah to whomever he wants on the Day of Judgment. On the Day of Judgment, the Rahmah is uh, amazing, as the Prophet said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 100 portions of Rahmah. One portion he has designated for this world. And it is with that Rahmah that animals feed their uh, little ones from that Rahmah. The other 99 portions Allah has reserved for the Day of Judgment. So you can imagine how much Rahmah there is. But then Allah will select who gets which type of rahmah and how much and so on. So he's al-Rahim. He's al-Aziz, supreme. He has the ability to dominate, determine, dictate, give the final verdict. But since his name is also al-Rahim, he will do this with his rahmah. And so there's hope there for the believer, for the one who wants to be part of Allah's creation. And uh, obviously there's a warning for those who don't want to be part of Allah's creation and assume that he is isolated, independent, and he is above verdict and above judgment. Mm-hmm. So this is the, uh, the ethics and morals uh, 
of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying uh, to people like Fir'aun that although you may have a dynasty and although you may have all the uh, luxurious items in the world and you might, you might have power, military power and everything else, but that comes to naught on the Day of Judgment when you are not God. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only ruler and the only judge, so you have to be careful how you align your thoughts with yourself so, and you must align your thoughts with Allah subhanahu and the Prophet of the time. Okay, we'll stop here today, inshallah. The next set of ayat are slightly different and we'll talk about them, inshallah, the next time we meet, which hopefully will be next week. Jazakumullah khair, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, subhanakullah, alhamdulillah, 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 alhamdul